it will be a blast. So uh, we're glad you're here. Um, we are, we're in the series in Judges and we're, we're talking, um, uh, Judges is, is such an interesting book and it's one that as we go through this summer and, and even, you know, you can, by the way, you can go ahead and read ahead. You can, you can jump ahead and kind of see where we're going. You're allowed to read it on your own. You, you can read, you can, like when you read this and especially if, like you read the whole thing in kind of a, maybe a couple sittings and you just kind of take it all in. One of the first questions that comes up is, why is this even in the Bible? I mean, it is, it is probably easily the most violent and disturbing book in the Bible. And, and over and over, chapter after chapter, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. And the ending is, I mean, it's almost like, well, we got to edit this. We can't even like share a lot of this. It's, it is, it is crazy. And, and, and you can, you can, you can begin to think and ask the question, all right, what's the point of this? Like, really, Lord, this? And, and so as we go into Judges, there's a, a few things we need to think about and know. And the first is this. God uses imperfect people to carry out his plans. But listen, him using imperfect people does not mean, it does not mean that he is sanctioning or affirming their imperfections. Does that make sense? So you can get to a point like when you read this and you say, why would God use them? It seems like God is saying this is okay and, and you can live this kind of lifestyle because he's using this guy and this is how he's living. And, and this is crazy that God would, listen, if God were only to use perfect people, he couldn't use anyone, Right? He wouldn't be able to use any of us. So God uses what he has to work with. And in the time of the judges was not a lot. It was not a lot. So as we go through this, we'll see, like even these judges, they they are not perfect people. They They are not even ideal people. The judges are not people that you want your kids to grow up to be like. They're not how you want to be. Because you're gonna, we're going to see their lifestyle and you're going to go, oh man, okay, I don't think I want that for me or my family. The goal is not to look at this and say, these are the examples, these are the people we should aspire to be. No, not at all. Instead, what we do is we see, we see what we're going to talk about today, this, this kind of, um, this, this habitual kind of repeating of itself. And it's teaching us through that. So I want to start by asking, um, how many of you, maybe even currently, like your current age, but maybe when you were younger, you love, you love, love, love a really good merry-go-round? Anyone? Anyone? Even today, where you're like, I love a merry-go-round. In fact, I wish, our, I wish I was on one right now. That sounds amazing. A nice merry-go-round. So a year ago, um, our family, we took a trip to, uh, to Disneyland. Literally a year ago today, here we are. A year ago today on Father's Day, we're at Disneyland, and we're on this merry-go-round, and it's a blast, and there's the kids just loving every second of it, and especially our, uh, especially our girl there. Uh, my oldest is not in this video, because if he was in the video, you would just see this. But, but it's actually like this. <laughs> and it was great. And, and he was kind of like, oh, I'm kind of over this. But when they're little, like, we love, merry-go-rounds are great, right? Merry-go-rounds are fun. Now, Disneyland has a famous merry-go-round. And, you know, we, we go there and we were there last year. And they, especially our daughter wanted to go over and over and over. Anytime there's a merry-go-round, let's go ride it and then get back in line and do it again and do it again. All right. But then eventually you move on. Now, imagine, 
imagine being in Disneyland and the only ride you can go on is the merry-go-round. That's it. You get on it, you do this merry-go-round, you get off, you get back in line, you wait to do it again, and, and that's all you do all day. It won't take long before you realize, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be on a merry-go-round. I don't like merry-go-rounds. The, I, I want to break this merry-go-round like I'm over it. Imagine, imagine that you know, you know that there's all this other stuff out there. There's the rest of Disneyland, but you, you instead are just, I just want to stay on this. Oh, we're just going to do this over and over and over and over. And we're not, we're not going to go off. We're not going to get off and go do anything else. You're just going to go over and over and over and over. Ooh, it won't take long before you realize I don't want to do this. What I just described to you, and you're in Disneyland, you're not going to write anything else. What I just described was hell. Um, Being on this merry-go-round over and over and over and not getting off. Now listen, in the book of Judges, there's another merry-go-round of sorts. We could call it the merry-go-round of sin or or the sin cycle. What we're going to see is that the Israelites are on this merry-go-round and they don't get off. And it goes over and over and over and over and over again. And this cycle of sin. And, and even as it goes on, like, like we saw this graphic last week, I think it's, there it is, that, that it gets worse and worse. It's like this downward spiral that it keeps happening, the same cycle over and over and over again. And they don't ever get off. And each time they go around, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Judges chapter two, where we are this morning, it serves as kind of an outline for the rest of the book. And it outlines this cycle of sin as an overview. And then, and then what we're gonna look at the rest of the summer is the examples and the samples of, of these judges living in this cycle and, and what this looks like. And we're gonna see this cycle over and over and over again, this merry-go-round that you and I are gonna be on in the book of Judges. And by the end of the summer, here's what we're gonna say. I am so glad I can get off this merry-go-round. <laughs> I am so glad that I don't have to be on this thing forever. Like they were over and over. I don't have to do this. Judges 2 is the merry-go-round of sin. It is this sin cycle that you'll keep seeing this graphic because it keeps happening over and over again. And so what we're gonna look at this morning is, is the overview of this cycle and what it's gonna look like and like how God is using this and the why. And we're gonna look at some insights of, of what are we supposed to do in response to this? How, how, then, how then should we live? Like what does this show us about us as much as it shows us about them? And, and what can we do differently? Or, or how can we live or act or think differently? So the first thing in this, this sin cycle is this. You and I need to remember God's faithfulness in the past. The first thing that happens for you and I to to recognize this this sin cycle or this merry-go-round of sin is that we have to, we have to remember what God has done and not just like overall, the overall picture, what God has done in your life in the past. Specific to you to remind yourself God has done this and he's He's come through this way and he was faithful here and, and he's done this. So let's look at, at, at Judges chapter two, verse six, as we start kind of this, this the, the explanation of this, this merry-go-round, this cycle of sin. Here's what it says. 
after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take the possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. So they finally get the promised land that God had promised Moses, that Moses, he didn't get to enter into because he passed away and, and, and early and, and there's some other reasons why he wasn't allowed to go in, but he would pass the kind of the baton to Joshua and then Joshua would lead the people and they would conquest and they would take over the land. And that's where we get the stories like Jericho and stuff. It's all in Joshua. Now, now it's all passed and now they're in the land, they get it. They finally get it. So he's like, all right, guys, go. Go enjoy our inheritance, this new promised land. Verse seven, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. This is like, uh, it's like, uh, this is the end and it's great. And this is the, the end of the story. It's a happy ending. And then it says this, Joshua, who we recognize was the only person in the Bible who didn't have parents. Joshua, the son of none. <laughs> That's a great Father's Day joke. You're welcome. You're welcome, dad joke. Joshua, the son of none, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110, a full life. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance. This is the, if this were a movie, this was the end of the movie now where they've gone through the land, they've conquested and finally, finally now he gets to inherit the land and the people do and they happy, live happily ever after and then he dies and he's buried and they all honor him and celebrate him and, and the, the movie ends with his funeral and everyone there just, just thanking God for the leadership of Joshua and then the end, the credits roll, wonderful. Man, you and I went to that movie, we'd clap at the end, we'd say, that was amazing. What a movie. Wow. How, how incredible the story of God and his people, specifically God's people are, how faithful they were. The book of Judges doesn't end there, clearly. It's chapter two. It continues the movie, and it's terrible. This movie is the opposite of the everything it wraps up and the wonderful conclusion and the credits roll and everyone's happy. No, no, no. This thing turns and it turns quickly. Here's what we see. Verse nine, he's buried in the land of his inheritance. Verse 10, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, after his generation, the people who had experienced God and his goodness and, and all of this incredible miraculous stuff, after they've all passed away, they've all died and moved on like the way of their ancestors, then the next generation comes up. Another generation grew up, here it is, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. These Israelites that have been so faithful now under the leadership of Joshua have moved on. They've passed away. They've, they've, they've upgraded in, into now the eternal life, right? But the next generation, their kids stayed. And the, the comment we get, the, the, the commentary, the insight we get is they didn't know the Lord and they never experienced any of the stuff that he did. They didn't know him. Now, who's at fault here? It's probably, it's probably both to blame. Certainly the, the next generation who are making decisions on their own, but, but there's also some, some culpability to the parents who didn't raise them in the instruction or the care of the Lord, and, and maybe they were just taking it all for granted, and it just sort of, like, life just happened, and, and what do you know? What do you know? The kids leave the faith of the parents. I'm looking around. I know that's happened here. This isn't just, this isn't a, a, something that was thousands of years ago. This happens today that 
that generations who don't who grew up in faith and grew up with with parents and grandparents in faith they still choose to leave to do their own thing they don't know the lord or what he has done and and, and we see this happen today just as it did then so the first thing for us is to remember god's faithfulness in the past this is what they forgot they didn't know him and they didn't know what he did for us to remember what god has done for you specifically for you in your life to think back all right lord what have you done because it's so it's so easy and it turn, can turn so quickly that we forget his goodness and instead turn to something else. It's so easy for us to forget what God did years ago or how he came through or how he's faithful because instead what we say is, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? Like, what have you done for me this week, Lord? What have you done in this situation in my life? All right, you've come through and you were faithful and all this other stuff. I get that, but that was like, that was so long ago. What about now? Where are you right now? It is so easy to forget God's faithfulness and then to project that, well, maybe he won't be faithful in the future. Maybe he just doesn't care about me anymore. Instead, for you and I to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in our lives, to remember just how faithful he is, his provision, his guidance, his protection, and and let that be the thing that, that fuels us to trust him. In Exodus chapter 20, now jumping back a few books, God consistently, constantly reminds his people of what he has done. He says this, I am the Lord your God, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Hey, do I have to keep reminding you? Do you remember what happened? Do you remember what I did? Deuteronomy chapter seven, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to thousands of generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. That, that God is like, listen, I, I, there'll be thousands of generations that I will keep my, my covenant, my faithfulness with. That this is not a God who gives up just because the previous generation passes away. That he He is in this for the long haul, that he is, he really is faithful, not just to those in the past, but to us. So we, you and I, remember God's faithfulness in the past. They, they didn't, and it turns really bad really quick. The second thing is to do this, to recognize the consequences of sin. For you and I to recognize, no, listen, there really are, there really are consequences to sin. And, and not the consequences of like, well, you know, if I get caught, if, if, if they find out. No, no, no. We're talking about what it does to your soul. The effects of sin on you. And that there really are, there really are consequences to the things you think is just what, 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 what society today calls a lifestyle. You just live your truth. You be you. Whatever lifestyle you choose, whatever you want, just as long as you're true to yourself. Oh, man. Uh, Listen, every time I hear that, I'm like, man, that is is the gospel of lies. Just be true to yourself. What, What does that even mean? Here's what it means. Ready? Do whatever you want and don't let anybody judge you. And, And don't accept any consequences. You just be free to do whatever you want. That is going to sound awfully familiar to what happens in the book of Judges. 
So we recognize the consequences of sin. Here's what it says in verse 11, the very next thing. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals or the other, the other gods, the other idols. They served. They did evils in the eyes of the Lord. They did what we, he would call, what is called sin, and they served other gods. It says this, they forsook the Lord the God of their ancestors who brought them out of Egypt. They forgot what he did. They didn't think about him anymore. They didn't know him. And not only did they just say, you know what? Hey, we'll serve you, but we'll also just add a little bit over here. They say, no, actually, we're quitting on you. We're quitting you and we're gonna serve someone else. These other, these other gods. They forsook the Lord. It says they followed and worshiped various gods of the peoples around them. And then this happened. They aroused the, the Lord's anger because, he, because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Ashereths. If you go to Israel with us, which is a bunch of us going, by the way, this, this trip filled up surprisingly quick. Uh, we had to add a second bus and it's full. So those of you going on this trip next, uh, next year, it's gonna be an incredible trip. Um, here's the thing, what you'll see. You'll see some of these. You'll see they're called high places in Israel where they set up these places of worship in these Asherah poles, where they, where they worshiped other gods. They set this up, that they worship Baal and Ashereth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of, the ra- of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around who were no longer able to resist. And then it says this, whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord, this is terrible, was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. There are real consequences to sin, especially when you say, I'm going to leave God and do my own thing. He says, all right, fine, go for it. I'll, I'll give you over to the things you want and the things you want are going to destroy you. And what we see is that Israel's disobedience had dire consequences, led to oppression and pain and suffering and and the sin that so often, it so often promises this pleasures and this enjoyment. It's all a facade. It's all just temporary, just here and now. Hey, this is gonna look fun. It's gonna look good. It's gonna be wonderful. It, ready? Ready for this? I don't wanna ruin this for, especially if we have little ones in here. It is just a merry-go-round that looks wonderful until you can't get off of it. And this merry-go-round that looks fun and enjoyable can become your, your own prison. It becomes the thing that shackles you. This sin is, it offers temporary pleasure, but its, its consequences are real and damaging, and it always has a cost. It always has a cost. It always has uh, something to it that it's, it, you, you don't get to, enjoy, to experience this or do this or live this out and feel like, hey, there's gonna be no fallout from this. There's always a cost to it. It always separates us from experiencing what God has for us. Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says this. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. It's just an image, a mirage, a facade. That There's a way that seems right to a person. Again, today we call that living your truth or your lifestyle. There's a way that seems right to you. This is what's right for me. I'm gonna do what's right for me. That sounds wonderful, except when you read the truth in scripture, this is the secret that no one tells you, that it, it leads to death. Oh, man. It's a trap. 
listen, and this is the way of the world. This is every commercial. Every commercial you ever watch is this. It promises, it promises some, some great boast, some great promise, some enjoyment. And, and in the end, it never lives up to it. It never lives up to it. Listen, listen, you can, I don't care how often you whiten your teeth, they're not gonna look like that commercial. It's just not like, it's, that's not gonna happen, right? Hey, here's this new clothing and you see the ad and you're like, wow, she looks amazing. Or man, that really shows off his muscles. You get the shirt and you're like, didn't work. Didn't work, I tried it. I, I don't look like that. Everything the, world, everything the world offers is an empty promise. It really is an empty promise. Live this lifestyle, buy this thing, do this, pursue this, live for this. This is your, and in the end, it all, it, all of this, all of this leads to an emptiness and what the Bible says, it leads to death. That this really does, this lifestyle of sin, this merry-go-round that you can't get off, it leads to death. So you and I, you and I, we have to recognize the consequences of sin. And, and, and not just like the fallout because of you got caught, but, but what it does to us. The consequences in relationships. For those of you who are, uh, who are older, you know this. Maybe you've had a little bit more life, a little bit more experience, and you recognize, okay, there, there really is consequences. There really is consequences to life's, life choices and decisions, and I, I've lived them out, and I made decisions, I made choices, and man, I'm still paying for them. And, and, and what you're doing, you're trying, you're trying the best you can to educate the next generation. Don't do what I did. Let my life maybe be a cautionary tale, at least in this area. Don't do what I did. And, and you, it doesn't matter how much you, you tell them, they, they can get to a point where they just say, yeah, but that was you. I'll do it different. I'll do my own thing. And then they make choices, life, just life decisions. And there's more consequences. And, and, and they grow up and they realize, I made the same mistakes. And they try to tell the next generation, don't be like me. Don't do what I did. And the next generation doesn't want to hear it. That is the book of Judges. Over and over, every generation saying, nah, we could do it. We could figure this out. We could do it better than you. There are genuine consequences for sin. And then we see the next thing, this next, the next lesson we learn in this cycle is to embrace true repentance. Verse 15 is really small, but we'll see that kind of it elaborates as we go through the book together, um, the, the response that they have um, to, uh, to like the, the oppression and the, and the suffering that they experience, that they, they do, they do um, experience some repentance. Judges uh, 2.15, it says this, they were in great distress. And that summarizes a whole bunch. And, and it will, again, it will, it will make sense as we go through this and elaborate. But here's what, here's what we see, that they really were suffering and struggling. And in the midst of all of this is when they cry out. They cry out to the Lord. And they do experience some kind of repentance. Their repentance, though, is not, is not true, genuine, heartfelt transformation repentance. It's just the right here, right now, please make this stop, repentance. It's temporary. They cry out because of the pain of the oppression. It becomes too much, and they, and they, and they cry out. But they, they do this. They do what, if you have children, they do what your children do. This is how your children repent. I'm sorry. Excuse me, what was that? I'm sorry. Hold on, I, can you say a little louder? 
I didn't hear you, what you said. I said it. I already said it. What did you say? I said it. <laughs> when your kids get caught, they just want no more consequences. Hey, listen, you need to apologize. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. Can I go now? That doesn't feel real. <laughs> That's not genuine. Like, if your kid walks in the room, they, they get caught, and they've done something, and, and big or small, whatever it is, and if they sit down and say, Mom, Dad, I, I need to say something. Okay, what is it? I just really need to apologize. I don't know what got over me. I, I did this thing, and I, it, I just, it wasn't myself. It's not the kind of person I want to be. I'm truly sorry, and I, and I accept whatever consequences come my way. Who are you, and what have you done with our child? This is not my child, Right? That, that, like, you hear that and you go, okay, this feels real. That, that feels genuine. And maybe it changes tomorrow, but right now, this is what they feel. That's the be- at least the beginning of maybe true repentance where you're saying, all right, I I'm, I'm really do want to acknowledge the error of my ways and I want to change. That's not what we see here in Judges. What we see is, I'm sorry. Lord, Lord, we're sorry. All right. And here's what we see, though. Because God is a loving father, even that is enough for him to say, all right, I'll step in. Even that, he says, all right, I know, I know, I know the error of your way, and I've said you're going to experience consequences, and you're going to have discipline, but even in the midst of that, I'm still your loving father. And even though you are rebellious and stiff-necked and stupid, I'm going to save you. All right. We're sorry. We're sorry. Okay. And then he raises up a judge, but they experience repentance. But it's not true. And what happens is it's temporary because they repent and then things get better. And then guess what? They go right back into it. It's the, hey, you need to apologize for hitting your brother. I'm sorry. All right. Say you won't do it again. I won't do it again today. And then the next day, the same thing. And you realize, man, there, it's just this merry-go-round of the same thing that happens. And that's that's judges. That's Israelites just saying, I'm sorry. But they do. They do apologize and they do experience. They cry out for relief from the Lord for their suffering. But it's not true repentance. Here's what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, the I'm sorry, brings death. It doesn't bring about true repentance and, and that leads to salvation. Instead, it's just a, a quick fix, a, a, a quick, let's just forget the, let's just smooth over what we're going through and just move on. That's what they wanted. That's what they, that's what, you, listen, that's what we want. I don't want to experience life change. I don't want to have to like change how I do things. I just don't want the consequences of some of the bad decisions I made. God, can you just fix this, fix all the things that I've messed up and then like we'll be good again. And he's going, that's not how this works. If this is a relationship, you got to hold up your end of the bargain. <laughs> this isn't me just fixing everything for you. That's not true relationship. What I want is to know you. What you need more than I'm sorry is true repentance. And then what we see is they experience God's deliverance and so can we. So you and I need to, we really do need to experience not just true repentance, but now experience God's deliverance. In verse 16, it says this, then, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the raiders. Yet 
They would not listen to their judges. And then he gets like some, again, some language that gets a little PG here. They would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned away from the, the, turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Here's the commentary that God gives. He raises up judges, all right, and saves them. And instead they say, hey, thank you. We're gonna leave you again. This is why a few weeks ago when we talked about idolatry and when we, when we were in the series, the 10, we started kind of looking at the 10 commandments. One of the quotes that throughout history that commentators have all said is that idolatry is adultery. Because when God looks at it, it looks at it in the terms of a covenant relationship. I'm in a relationship with you. He has a covenant with Israel. You and I, we have a, a, there's a new covenant now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are now in a new covenant with the Lord and it's through Jesus. He says, all right, we're in a covenant. Just like a marriage is a covenant. You made agreements. You made, you made certain, uh, uh, certain professions that you will be faithful. And this is no different. And he says, Israel, we're in a covenant here. And instead, what you've done is you've cheated on me for these other gods, these other things that you thought would be better. You've left me. You've been unfaithful to me. And instead, you've left for them. Ooh. Sin has consequences. And it's more than just simply like, oh, I got caught. I got in trouble. It is. It is. As God says, it is the same as adultery, as cheating on God. Idolatry is, is so much worse than we think. And, and, and you and I, there's no, we don't serve Baal or Asherah, but, but you better believe we serve idols. And it may be wealth and money. It may be success and promotion. It may be your public image and the social media, what you project and like how people think of you. It may be, um, it may be making sure that you have the, the best, nicest, coolest stuff and you're getting your upgrades and like the best, biggest house and the newest car and the stuff. And like you're living for something. And, and, and as soon as you, as soon as you change your focus off from what God wants and like your relationship with him and instead begin pursuing anything else, he says, what have you done? What have you done? Man. So for them, they repent. At least enough. And God says, that's it. All right, good. At least you're sorry. So he brings up a judge. And they still don't listen to him. But then eventually they do. And God uses this judge to save them. Whenever the Lord raised up the judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemy as long as the judge lived. As long as this person who he puts a spirit in, who, by the way, again, is not the person that you esteem to be. He is an imperfect person, or even she, Deborah. Like, they are not perfect people. And, and in fact, like, the further we get down into judges, the more you realize, I don't want to be anything like that judge. And when you raise your kids, you don't want to raise any of your kids to be like that judge. They are not a good model citizen, but God uses them, even though they're flawed, because that's what he's got. And he uses them to save his people as long as they live. And the Lord, it says, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. That God, God, in his goodness, as a good loving father says, oh, I still, I, I don't want this to go on forever. The discipline is good. All right, I'll bring, I'll raise up a judge who will save my people because I still love them. Even though, even though they're rebelling, even though they're worshiping other gods, even they, though they've left me, I still love them. And I'm still faithful. I'm still living up my end of this covenant. 
we see this, that you, you and I, you and I can also experience true deliverance. God raises up judge to deliver them, but it's a short-lived deliverance. He is faithful to deliver us as well, but when we experience and cry out for deliverance and fully surrender, it's only through Jesus that we can do this. We're gonna talk about this here in a minute. Why this is so different for us. Why, like, why is it that we can get off of this sin cycle? And it isn't because you just are better than them. It isn't because like all of a sudden, well, that was thousands of years ago. We just know how to not sin as much anymore. Listen, turn on the TV. We got plenty of sin going on. There's plenty of sin in the world today. In fact, we invent new ways to sin. It's amazing. It isn't because you're somehow better. It's because we have a better deliverer than what they had. You and I, you and I can experience true deliverance from not just the consequences of sin, but from our sin. Psalm 34 says this, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. That God actually does hear us when we cry out. That actually, he actually does listen and is moved to action when we cry out. We can experience God's deliverance. Now here's the key. Here's the catch, ready? We have to do what they couldn't do. Here's the insight for us, ready? Don't fall back into the sin cycle. This is the thing. The book of Judges is this over and over again and they experience deliverance and then there's peace and it'll stay for X amount of years, for 40 years, for 30 years, for 22 years and then it all happens all over again. They jump right back into it. It's like they didn't learn their lesson and instead, instead it gets worse every single time. This downward spiral of sin that, that allures and looks so promising, but in the end is just empty. Verse 19, it says this. But when the judge died, the people returned to their ways, even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. This is why we know it wasn't true, genuine repentance. It was just enough to get out of trouble because they went right back into it and they said, no, we won't. We refuse to give up our lifestyle and, our, and what we wanna do. Who are you to tell us how to live? You can't tell us. Who, ready? Don't judge me. I'll live how I wanna live. That is the book of Judges. That is the people of the book of Judges. And that, ready? That's people today. How many people do you know, do we know, that will say, I'm gonna live how I wanna live and you don't get to tell me I'm wrong? Who are you to judge me? Listen, I'm no one to judge you. I'm not, I'm not even trying to judge you. Here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to point out that that way actually leads to death. This is, this is a, a cautionary tale. This isn't me judging you. This is me saying, hey man, you, you too can get off this merry-go-round the sin cycle. I got off. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I don't sin. By all means, no. But it means I'm not stuck in it. It means I'm actually, I've got actual forgiveness and deliverance and freedom from, from sin. That it only comes through one way. And, and you, you and I, and anyone can decide to live, to continue and to not give up our, our sinful, evil ways. Great, go for it but you don't get both. You don't get, I'm gonna live how I want and I want 
God to remove all the consequences. I want the blessings of God because he's supposed to love me and I'm gonna live how I want. He says, how, how, how does that work? How does that work? How is it you're gonna say you, you want what I, what I have, you want a relationship, but also you're serving other things, right? Try that with your spouse. Hey, honey, I love you, but I wanna share you with someone else. I'm gonna guess you probably don't even finish that sentence. Right, B- before, like you have a different color eye the next day. I love you, but it doesn't matter what you say next, it's wrong. I love you, but I don't wanna do what you're asking me to do. I, I don't wanna live the lifestyle you say you want. I, I can't do that, I wanna live my own, my own truth, I wanna be me, and that means going off and doing my own thing. We hear that in a relationship and we say, man, that, that's, it's gonna be hard for that to stay together. And that's exactly what the Lord hears. And when he said, when we say, I'm gonna live for someone or something else, he says, oh, what are you doing? You're leaving me. This, again, is adultery and forsaking your relationship with me. They fall right back into it. Here's what happens when we serve an idol, when we serve something else, whether it be success or money or image or anything, anything else, what happens is that thing actually becomes our master. What we think we're enjoying as a lifestyle, we actually become enslaved to. It now, it now makes decisions for us. There's no amount of money you can make for money to, to, to not have its pull on you anymore. The, some of the wealthiest people we know, one of the things that, that we like, that I like watching, we watched this just yesterday, I think, is Shark Tank. You guys like Shark Tank? Uh, just, it's not in my notes, but just, uh, just show of hands. How many of you guys have bought a product from Shark Tank? Come on. Yeah, 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 good. Honest people. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've bought a number of things. In fact, I maybe was online looking last night at some uh, really cool Shark Tank products that are gonna change and solve everything in my life. One of the things that they say in there, one of the guys, uh, his name's Kevin O'Leary, and they'll ask him like, hey, uh, how much money do you need? Right? And they'll say this. How much, this is the question that, that will come up. You, uh, people will ask me in interviews, how much money do you have? And his response, not enough. He's got more money than you spend. How much money do you have? Not enough. I need some more. I need some more. There's no amount of money where you go, okay, now I don't want money anymore. I was, I was pursuing my entire life, but now I think I'm done. You become a slave to that thing. It becomes your master. So be careful who you decide to serve. Jesus talks like this. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Pick one. You can't do both. You and I, you and I, if we're not careful, we can fall right back into this, this cycle like they did. And then we see that God, God decides to use the people in the land to test Israel. He says, all right, all of these pagan nations, all of these unbelieving nations, all of these people who are actually gonna like, do harm to you, I'm not gonna drive them out because I'm gonna use them as a test to see how true and how faithful you really are. So it says that he leaves them there. In verse 22, I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. And what do you know? The book of Judges is about them failing this test over and over and over again, that they, they cannot pass this test. They will not, they don't want to pass this test. And this cycle continues again and again. And eventually they become 
indistinguishable from all of these pagan nations that they're supposed to be a light to. The goal of all of this, God said, I'm going to make you your own nation to Abraham. I'm going to make you your nation and you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. You're supposed to be an example to everyone else. And instead what happens is Israel becomes just like everyone else. This is why in our lives, this is true for us, um, the people you hang out with most are the, is the person that you are becoming. I heard this, um, I heard this quote, I can't remember who said it, but I, I, uh, it's become a thing. And I'm like, man, that's actually really, really brilliant. Um, he said this, you are the average of the five people closest to you in your life. The five people you are closest to, that, surround, that you surround yourself with, you take the average of them and that's you. And if these people are really, really amazing, wonderful people who are consistently encourage you and challenge you and uplift you and, and call you to something higher, then you will become a better person, a better version of yourself. You'll grow, you'll experience, you'll experience iron sharpened iron. Wonderful. If the five people in your life are challenging you and encouraging you and, 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 and spurring you on, amazing. They will bring you up. But listen, the opposite is true. If the five people in your life are consistently bringing you down and causing you pain and, 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 and trouble and drama and heartache, man, guess what? You are the average of those five people. And they, instead of you bringing them up, they will bring you down. And this is never more true than in high school. Do you remember high school? Some of you are like, oh, please, please don't bring up high school. High school, like I, I was a youth pastor for a decade and I had, you know, I don't know, count, countless high schoolers come through. And I saw this all the time, that these high school students became the person that they hung out with. Whoever they surround themselves with, what do you know? They just become that person. And, and if these people are like, this is why for us and like for our kids, we want so badly and we want good Christian influences and other kids more than just like mom and dad and, and you know, like family, just encourage them. Like we have to, like they'll tell us, you guys are like paid to like make us like love us. And you know, like, that's true. And you know, otherwise it would be really hard. <laughs> but when they have friends who are encouraging them and challenging them, when they have small group leaders in, in the, at church and youth group who are encouraging them and challenging them, it means something different. And, and all of a sudden, they actually like rise up to the occasion. And the opposite is true. When we see that they surround themselves with people who aren't great, who are bringing them down, we're like, no, 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 nope, we need to stop that. You don't get, nope. You're, you're, you're becoming a little bit too much like this kid that you've been hanging out with and he's not the greatest of influence. He's not like, I wouldn't say he's quite like, you know, a demon from hell, but he's close. And, and we don't want you becoming like that. Listen, you, as an adult, that doesn't change. You are the average of the five people closest to you in your life. So part of life is finding out which five do I want? Who do I want to become like and be surrounded by? For Israel, the Israelites... They, want, they just surrounded themselves with all the other pagan nations and became just like them. They definitely, certainly were brought down. Here's what it says. This passage ends, verse six, chapter three, with this. It says, they took their daughters in marriage, these other pagan nations, and gave their own daughters to their sons. So they exchanged daughters and they intermarried, which intermarriage is fine. That's not the issue. That's not why this is a problem. The, way, the, the reason this is a problem is because of the next line. And they served their gods. The Israelites began serving the gods of the other nations around them and they left Yahweh, the true God. They left their God and began serving all the other things that everyone else worshiped and instead they forsook him and started worshiping others. Ooh, this 
is the cycle and it gets worse and worse. Don't fall back into the sin cycle. So here it is. Here's the, 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 kind of the, the theme, the, the, the sentence for this week. Here it is. Reject the world's false promises and embrace God's faithfulness. It is so easy to buy into all the false promises of life. It's on every commercial you ever watch. That's a false promise. You can say it. And when a commercial comes on later today, false promise, just call it out, right? People are in the room. It could be weird, but that's fine. This is a false promise. The world, all, of, all it does is offer false promises. Reject the world's false promises and embrace instead God's faithfulness. Because of Jesus now, you and I can get off this merry-go-round. It's not because you're great, though some of you are, are really nice. You're really, you're really nice people, full of sin. You're nice people, full of sin. It's not because you're great or you can be great or you're good enough. You aren't good enough. You can't be good enough. It's not possible. Because of Jesus now, you and I can get off of this merry-go-round of sin. It's like, it's like he's the operator in Disneyland and he stops the ride and says, hey, you want off now? Uh, can I go a few more times? Sure. Go as long as you want. But it's not gonna change. Your lifestyle won't change. I can help you off. All right. I want off this merry-go-round of sin, this lifestyle. Okay, fine, I've had enough. I've had enough. I've tried to do it on my own. And he stops the ride and says, all right, I'll help you off. I'm the one. I'm the one who can get you off of this. And he lets you off the, the horse. And it can be hard. Listen, it can be really hard. You love your little horse. You love the colors. You, the, you know, it's, you, all of a sudden you're the shape of it now because you've been on it so long. And you're and, and like, all right, all right. But it isn't until you get off this merry-go-round of consistent, constant sin that you realize, man, I've never really lived life. I've never really enjoyed the freedom I can have because I've been stuck on this ride. I've been stuck on this life of, of this merry-go-round that doesn't, doesn't ever let up. And it's because of what Jesus did. It's not because you're great, but it's because he says, I will pay the price for you. I'll pay the price for your sin and the consequences for your choices. I'll do it. So God sends him, this is why it's called the good news. God sends him and he lives his life and we have the gospels of what he did and what he taught and it's incredible and it all ends in the culmination with his death on the cross where he says, I finished it, Lord, I paid it in full. I paid for their debt. It's because of Jesus that you and I can say we can get off this. We can get off this, this merry-go-round of sin once and for good. We can be done with this. It doesn't mean we don't sin but it means it no longer controls us. It's no longer our master. And when you and I, when, when you and I pass away, whew, we get the forgiveness that Jesus offers. We get to show up before the Father and he says, hey, congratulations. My son here, he paid your ticket in. Welcome. This place is gonna be a little bit better than Disneyland. So, a couple questions. First, for you. Am I willing to do whatever God says about my sin? Are you willing to do whatever God says about your sin? Whatever it is. Maybe he wants you to confess it to someone or share it with someone. Maybe he wants you to, to take steps to, uh, to get some accountability. Whatever it is. Are you willing to say, Lord, whatever it is. All right, all right, I'm in. I want off this merry-go-round. Jesus paid so I can get off of it and I want to stop. I, I'm, 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 all right. Are you willing to do whatever God says about your sin. 
Second question, are you willing to accept whatever God does about your sin? Maybe there are genuine, real consequences. And, and maybe you're gonna have to just experience that. And you're saying, all right, you know what? This is too big of a deal, fine. Fine, whatever you say and whatever you, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to do, I'll, I accept it. Whatever the consequences are, okay? All right, I'm in. That's no easy feat. And if you say no to either one of those, then you're not ready. You're not ready. If you say yes, and he says, all right, this is true repentance. This is true repentance. And, and listen, I can get you off this merry-go-round. Here's the cool thing now. What God did is this. He sent Jesus on the cross. That's what he did. The way he's going to pay for this sin, the way he's going to stop, the way he's going to get us off of this cycle of sin, this merry-go-round, is through Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's, it's the only thing. It's the only lifestyle that you can live that gets you off this merry-go-round. It's to say, all right, Lord, I'm in. I choose to follow you. All he asks for in return is a relationship that you Accept the forgiveness he offers and you decide to become a follower of his. Ooh. We see this in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death and it's always death. But the gift of God is the opposite. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That what he offers is true, real life in contrast to what sin offers, which is just more of the same. False promises that lead to death. Would you do this? We're gonna close and we're gonna worship the Lord together, but would you do this? Would you stand with me first? I'm gonna pray with us and, 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 and give us the opportunity to, um, for a, a number of us to respond and say, all right, Lord, I'm ready to make, I'm ready to, to, to do whatever you say and to, and to do whatever you ask. Would you, would, you, uh, would you bow with me? So before I pray, I wanna give an opportunity here with uh, heads bowed and... and uh, kind of with the privacy where you are. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to say, all right, I'm in. Maybe you've never done this before. You've never decided to really commit your life to Jesus to say, I'm in. All right, I want off the merry-go-round. And I, Lord, I want, I want real life. I want, I want the forgiveness you offer and I want you to transform me and to change me into who you want me to be. I want to be your follower. If you've never done that before, but you're saying today's the day I want in, I want to do that. I want to become now a follower of Jesus. Would you do this? Just No one's looking around, I'm, just me. Uh, slip your hand up. I wanna know, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna pray for you and with you. And, and if you're doing that, you're like, all right, I'm in. Yeah, 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 yep. Cool, oh, that's awesome. So for those of you who said, all right, I'm in. Never done this before, but I'm in. You can just right where you are, just make a decision. This is just a personal decision, but you can, you can pray along something like this. You can pray along with me, just right where you are. God, I admit that I am a sinner. I admit I am on this merry-go-round of sin. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sin and to change me. And now I commit my life to following you. Holy Spirit, come into my life and change me from the inside. 
Now there's others of us. Others of us that you've, you've done that maybe before. You've, you've, you're in, you're a follower of Jesus. You're like, I've, I've been following him. But for whatever reason, you keep getting back on the merry-go-round. You keep getting back on the horse and you keep, getting, you keep running back to this life of sin. Even though you've been set free from it, you still, you still keep getting on the ride and you're done. You've said, I'm, I'm over it. I know, I know that this is all false promises and it leads to death. And I know I'm free from it, but God, I want, I need help yet again. If that's you, again, just, just me looking. I want to know who I'm praying for. If you want to just slip your hand up saying, I'm done. I'm done with this cycle. I'm done with just this continual, I want, all right, yeah, I want freedom from this. So Lord, for those of us in here with, who have said with their hands up, and those who have not, who, who are just, but are still saying, that's me. Lord Jesus, we ask for your mercy. We ask for your grace. And we ask for, we ask for conviction from the Holy Spirit in our lives when we are deciding to get back on the ride. Lord, we thank you for the freedom you've given us. We thank you for, the, for the, the freedom we have in Jesus. But now we ask even more so now for the grace to, to resist the temptation of sin. That you, that you would intervene on our behalf. God, we cry out to you and ask for you to save us. Not just our soul, but you save us in this life from our own poor, sinful decisions. Lord, I ask that you would put people in their lives that would, that would come alongside them and, and bring them some accountability, some help, some encouragement, but also some, some hard truth. Lord, we want to we do whatever you say about our sin and we want to we submit to whatever you do with regard to our sin. We love you now, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we worship... We had a number of people raise their hands who said, I want to follow Jesus. Can we just celebrate? Can we just celebrate? That's so awesome. We're going we're gonna to worship, but before we do, um, if that was you, I would love to see you in the lobby. Just come by and say like, hey, I was one of those people. What do I do? And I'll, I would love to chat with you and, and uh, encourage you and say thanks. So how about this? Let's worship God one last time this Father's Day.